Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast in which two friends and lifelong film fans sit down and talk about what makes movies great. The gimmick here is we rarely, uh, if ever, have talked about these films before, except for little bits uh, here and there. So these are our live thoughts. Um, you know, Obviously, I respect Dan's opinion, but don't actually know what it is. I think, Dan, uh, if you recall, the only time we've talked about this next film, which is The Witch from 2015, is uh, one day we compared notes and said, yeah, that's a terrifying movie. Yeah, I think we were, t- I forgot what we were talking about, but we were talking about scary movies. And I said, you ever see The Witch? And you said, oh, yeah, it's terrifying. And I said, yeah. And then, like, we got Chinese food or something. Right. Like, I, that's as much we talked about. So I'm really looking forward to having a conversation about this film, which we both rewatched over the last day or two to get ready for the podcast. So our first segment is always about like, you know, um, you know, big gut reactions or takeaways. So watching the witch again for, for this show, what did you notice? What was your takeaway? Sure. So I have been on really a lifelong quest to find a film that I find uh, as scary as the original wicker man with, with Christopher Lee. And uh, my, my line to myself has always been that I don't find that film scary. I find it disconcerting which is really, that, that's how I give a, a scary movie an A+. And I have to admit that I find The Witch disconcerting. Uh, there's, there's a couple of jump-out-of-your-seat moments, but the overall effect of the film, I, I think, is just to give me a sense of unease which in a controlled way is a kind of pleasure. I don't know about you. Oh, I, th- I agree. I mean, well, I think unease is an understatement. I mean, I get unease when I'm at a yellow light and I don't know whether to stop or keep going. That's unease. This fills me with spiritual dread and uh, a desire to not get up in the middle of, middle of the night to get a drink of water. Um, watching it again, here's a couple thoughts I had. The first is that, oh, by the way, spoiler alerts. So if you haven't seen The Witch or any other movie we talk about, Make sure, make sure uh, you uh, either uh, turn this off or keep listening. But um, a couple of things I thought of. First is uh, it reminded me of Jim Gaffigan's great bit about camping, of how everyone's terrified really of the woods. <laughs> and that if you go, you, you're just in a, camp, you're in a sleeping bag to get ready for the serial killers. Because like Robert Frost said, the woods are lovely, dark and deep. And certainly in this movie, it reminds you that the woods are dark and deep. So that was one of my big takeaways. Um, watching it again, I had the thought that this was no fun to make. I, I can't imagine anyone laughing on the set. And and I'm sure they did. They're human beings, but that's why they're great actors. But you can imagine certain movies where they had a lot of camaraderie. And this seems like this seems like it was a Puritan shoot. Um, it, it pervades every frame. It also reminded me of two other movies I want to mention to you really quickly. One is The Blair Witch Project, mm. which I haven't seen since it came out in 1999. And I saw it. I thought it was pretty unsettling. But remember, none of us had seen one of those like Steadicam mm-hmm. movies before. And a friend of mine said, um, I can't believe you thought that movie was scary. Who was scared by a bundle of sticks? <laughs> and uh, I, I thought it was a little harsh. But this was much more horrifying and in many ways better than The Blair Witch Project. But the other thing it reminded me of, and I want to know your take on this, is how much it's like The Shining except for one key thing you know in the shining they're both about families falling apart mm-hmm. they're both about something is rotten in the state of x wherever you know whether it's the overlook hotel or whether it's the um the um the wilderness where uh, they, they go to live but one thing that struck me was that in the shining you know it's about the ghosts are you know metaphors for what jack wants to do his family to destroy it and there's that kind of like people have to talk about are the ghosts real or they're not real and how they get jack out of the freezer and stuff but this one is certainly, you know, the family is destroyed by an external force. I absolutely, exactly. So I just would like to, to pick up on that. I find that this is the kind of film precisely that The Shining is not. Right. So there are there are no metaphorical spirits. That This is a movie, I really think, about a universe that assumes that evil is real and not, not in the sense of human evil, right? I, I think that our common 20th century 
uh, metonymy for evil is always Nazism. You know, right. what, what is human right. being, humanism, right. uh, humans sent to the extreme right. of what we're capable of. But I think that there's something beyond what humans are are capable of. And that's what this movie is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's a quick question for you. I'd like to throw at you for the beginning was someone I know said to me, I wish we hadn't seen the witch so soon in the film. Cause as you know, the baby gets kidnapped within three or four minutes of it. And then it's full on. You see the witch running through the woods with the baby and you see what happens with the Samuel. But that was kind of interesting is that um, you could imagine this being written as a a kind of like um, a, a movie about, you know, collective hallucinations or the delusions. turn of the screw. Yeah, exactly. But it's not, it's definitely not like that, which is real, you know, black, black Philip is real, but I thought that was, isn't it interesting? Like, like the, the, that Eggers, the director wants you to know right in the beginning, no, the witch is real. Yeah. And I think it's too very consciously separated out from something like the crucible, which is really <laughs> supposed to be more of a political metaphor right. for, for something else where an evil again exists in the, in the minds of people the, the, the question is, a lot of people say, well, I don't find it interesting when there's a dragon in a movie because I know that there's no such things as dragons. But there's a lot of people who think that there is such thing as external evil, yeah. that it does affect humans in certain ways and that certain human actions leave us open to external evil. So I think that really the gambit here is to is to externalize evil early and it, say, no, it's not a metaphor. Right. It is a thing. And here are the ways in which it interacts with humanity and humanity is open to it. And you can believe that, but at the same time, not believe in witches. Sure. Like, I don't believe in witches, but I do believe in evil. So I guess in this movie, I guess the witch is kind of a metaphor, right? For that, like the external, whatever's out there in the woods. I mean, the woods is part of the part of human nature, right? The wilderness they're going out into. Um, so I think in some sense, maybe the, the witch is a, is a metaphor for that. Or at least she's a symbol for that, that external evil. I'll element. buy symbol. Yeah, okay. I'll buy, symbol. I'll buy symbol, but not metaphor. Um, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, okay. So now it's time for our second segment. I'll see you in a minute. See you in a minute. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back. So just as a reminder, in the second section, we talk about our best scenes or the scenes that we think most epitomize the ideas of the film. So Dan, I know that you had something off the top. Yeah, of absolutely. Well, I'm going to start, my, I'm going to begin at the beginning. Uh, for me, I mean, there's many key scenes in the film. And again, every screenplay, every scene is key. But for me, watching it again, uh, something that struck me was the first thing that the father says when they're being um, expelled from the plantation because he's too, he's too pure of a Puritan. And he says, what went we out into the wilderness to find? And, uh, you know, he's, He's leveling at his his uh, accuser, saying, "We came out here to find God's kingdom on earth." Right? What went we out into this wilderness to find? But the film then answers that question, I think, in a horrifying, horrifying way. Because when they when they decide to leave, and he's very proud, and he says, "You know, this reflects hor horribly on you." And, and they have the great scene of the cart leaving the plantation, mm -hmm. the, the gates close, and the next scene is them on their knees, holding their hands up to heaven, saying, "We're going to build our house here." Well, what they went out into the wilderness to find is that you know. Evil is 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 as close as the plantation. That their hearts are all, their souls are all wildernesses. That his faith isn't going to sustain him, 
that this person was very proud of himself um, for kind of almost giving the lie to the Puritans who were running the plantation. He finds out that even he was not strong enough to, to fight the devil. I think that was said beautifully. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so what about you? What did you think? Uh, what, did you, what was your key scene of watching it again? Well, my, my key scene, I think, is maybe the focal point or what I would call the center of the film, which is where uh, their son Caleb comes back mm-hmm. uh, and uh, is, appears to be choking or having a fit right. upstairs. And everybody's accusing everybody else of yeah. being a witch. And they try to pray for Caleb. And then the two kids can't pray. <laughs> and and Thomason's in trouble. Right. And the father and mother don't know what to do. Right. And then Caleb has some kind of ecstatic vision. Yes. Uh, and something happens. Does he have an ecstatic vision though? I so let's, let, we should take that apart. Right? Sure. So let's, let's backtrack a bit. He go, he's lost in the woods. He's mm-hmm. bewitched by the, um, by the, but the witch shows her cleavage, mm-hmm. which he's clearly interested in because there's those earlier shots that show him looking at his sister, not anything in a perverted way or something. He's just going through puberty. Um, but she appeals to the, the worst in him. That's the force of evil. She knows what he wants. She bewitches him, sends him back. Now, do you assume she sends him back or he just escapes? Because she shows up in the rain. I would, I would assume that she sends him back. She sends him back, right? So he gets up there. Now, you said at the end he has this rapturous vision. So let's talk about that scene. Mm-hmm. What... What do you think happens to him in all of that hysteria? Sure. So my reading of the scene is that she sends Caleb back or the the devil through her sends Caleb back in order to taunt the family and take or kill Caleb in front of them so that they will all spiral down into despair. It's supposed to be there. They're teetering. It's supposed to be the thing that, that knocks them over. And what happens is that, that Caleb appeals to, that Jesus and right. he he sees his savior in a way that nobody else sees the savior. In other words, I think that there's a very binary, very grim, very Protestant, very Calvinist binary vision of saved or not saved. And Caleb has a third vision, which is saved and happy about it. Or he he tastes this the sweetness right. uh, of an experience with the divine, which for me is so terrifying in, in seeing in seeing him in seeing him do it. It's the literally the only part of the film that is awe-inspiring uh or the the thing that makes me the things that that makes me stop and gives me chills i'm just watching the scene or or watching the movie with my spine and my spine is zeroing in on the moment at which he sees jesus right well he wanted to be ravished by the witch and then he ends up being ravished by christ which costs him his life so to speak. i don't know if that's too much for him i don't you don't know if he collapses like at the end of turn of the screw right mm-hmm. does he collapse under the weight of this vision or because it's too much i mean um again we mentioned it before when we did jaws but it's funny c.s lewis says uh, some people say i'd love to go meet god and he says well if you do you better be ready because when you meet the, the author of the play the show is over and that's that's exactly right that's my and that's my idea of what happens to caleb now the i, I think the you don't idea- think that's the witch taunting the parents with you don't think the the no. That she's possessing him, making him say that. I think that she is, and but what he says is she kneels, uh, she desires of my blood, yeah. and then he's he he is the only person in the film at the appropriate moment who really can confesses in such a way that he is the enemy. In other words, Thomason, who ultimately ends <laughs> up be- becoming the witch or right. joining them, says, "I love." He, her father says, "Lovest thou thy prayer?" And she says, "Yes." But she doesn't. But, but she doesn't. Right. But Caleb says the opposite. He's yes. when he sees Jesus, the, he the only thing he can think to say is, "I am thine enemy." I'm not worthy. Right? I am thine enemy. Right. Uh, and that strikes me as too ingenuous uh, to be a taunt. Or, or so. Well, keep going. Up, keep going. I'm, I'm going to keep going. So the idea here, I think, is that your view of death depends on 
your view of life. In other words, if, if there's going to be a mass, you know, if, if I told you that a building's coming down and it's your home and you're comfortable there, that's a view of a tragedy. If I tell you that a view's coming, a uh, building's coming down, but it's a jail, that's a, that's a release or a kind of freedom. Right, right. And it, it looks like a destruction from the outside to, to both. But I think that for Caleb, it's, you said that it's a grim shoot, right? You said that mm-hmm. nobody's smiling nobody's enjoying themselves or if it's the twins it's in the the utterly creepiest way possible caleb is the only person who smiles in the film but as you said there's there's nothing like a smile like we would imagine it or a kind of pleasure that would be tolerable Mm -hmm. it's a pleasure that is literally intolerable and and takes him somewhere where we as the viewer can't follow right but and it it echoes to his mother says earlier in the film that she had a dream once where she was ravished by christ Mm -hmm. and it was greater than anything she ever knew on earth but that was just a dream but i take it that when we watch that scene so you're saying that that, that's happening you're watching that happen yeah i'm saying that she can't um her fault in the in the film if everybody has one is that she can't get over her despair that the babies disappear she can't remember the dream well enough to have the vision that that caleb has but Caleb in the admission, uh, I am thine enemy, said, he essentially begins to recite part of the, the Song of Solomon. He yes, wants, he wants yes. to be kissed with the kisses of thy right, mouth. Right. Uh, and, and he literally is. And that's why she also says, just to go back on the mother, she says, I wish we were still in England. I haven't seen an apple since we were in England. Right. And of course, mm-hmm. the apple is the ruined paradise, which is what mm-hmm. they live in. So what do you make of him choking out the apple? I see him as as it being expelled uh, out of his body in other words the apple for me is the symbol not of the taunt but of the bewitchment and when it's when it's expelled that's when he begins to fight okay okay all right see you for segment three okay hi welcome back so in the third segment we like to talk about the last scene of a film or the title or any other big takeaway so i want to start with the title now we've talked about the godfather right Mm -hmm. and certainly the title like the godfather right applies to you know it applies to a character you don't suspect at the beginning until you get to the end because obviously thomason becomes the witch um the thing that struck me about the ending is that at one point the father says william says what is amiss in this fam and I think the thing that's amiss in that fam, part of it is the same thing that's amiss in all of us is, is about, um, you know, carrying around sin. Um, but not that, you know, not that I think the father's sin of pride or any of their sins necessarily, you know, um, you know, uh, get what they deserve. Right. <laughs> you know, to be penned up by your father in this pen with Black Philip or something like that. But the thing that struck me so much about the ending is that, you know, through the film, um, the father says, we're going to have to go back to the plantation and get Thomason a, a place to serve, let us serve a family. So she's supposed to serve one family. She ends up serving another. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of ironic at the end. But it's also fascinating to me that at the end, it bucks the trend of so many horror films. At the end of 99% of other scripts, Thomason would have her moment. She might be the last one alive, but she would beat the devil to, to invoke the uh, John Houston film, right? But she doesn't. And at the end, there's that great moment where she just she just makes that decision to just walk into the shed and start talking to Black Phillip. And that is so unsettling. I mean, you know, um, Linda Blair is a little girl again at the end of The Exorcist. And mm-hmm. you can take all these movies where the family's kind of reunited, even as a funny version like Poltergeist, you know, at the end of Poltergeist, they go to the Holiday Inn and the big joke is they shove the TV out in the hallway because they don't want to, but the family gets reunited um, because they're stronger than the force of evil. I mean, that's what movies have taught us, right? If we stay together, we could fight natural disasters, alien invasions, evil, but in this one, when they all start to die uh, one by one, and when the twins, how about when the twins are picked off through the roof by the witch, right? Incredible, right? So at the end, that's what's fascinating about it is that when she goes to the coven and they all start levitating and she's levitating up at the top, it, it, it doesn't just go against 
um, her, her parents' wishes and certainly what she thinks, it goes against movie history and then it just stops. And that's one of the reasons I think the ending is so powerful. I would agree with you. Uh, I mean, I, I have nothing to do for the ending except to heap praise. Okay. I would like to say heap that. Heap some praise. I would like to say that that is the best two minutes of the devil, maybe in movie history. I you know you, If not, you can hit us on Twitter or something like yeah. that. But You mean when she's signing the book and everything? Yeah, I, I think that the actual discussion with, with Black Phillip is the creepiest and most unsettling. Actually, I saw that part of the film on YouTube before I watched the rest of the film. I was, really? I was just looking for some commentary or something, and I and I ended up clicking, and the scene absorbed me so deeply. So I knew what the ending was really? going into the beginning of the film. Uh, but those lines are are so beautiful. I think um, "What's Thou Like to Live Deliciously" belongs on bumper stickers. That's <laughs> I, I can right. I can think of a hundred uh, bumper stickers that I'd rather not have versus that one. Right. Well, again, it's it's also the testament to like the unseen versus the scene, right? So when she goes in there and Black Phillips kind of hovering behind her, I watched it. I wanted to see really. I tried as hard as I could. Like, what is he? wearing is he wearing pure dress and you could just see little little outlines of his nose and stuff like that but it's perfect that you don't get him revealed at the end right it, it's it's so beautifully done and uh, you know we were you know as i think that you mentioned uh before it comes down to evil being real being right. uh, being uh, talking to them right. and, the, and the seduction of of her is just brilliant because he asks her you know uh, does thou like butter yeah it's it's so it's not what that what's that like butter? It's what's that like the taste of butter? I've, <laughs> I've I've had butter. I'm not sure I've had the taste of butter. Would you like to see the world? Yeah. Would you like to? Uh, he says something. He appeals to her something else about what she's going to wear and things like that. But he appeals to her in material things and hedonistic pleasures, like the taste of butter and seeing the world and things like that. It's funny that he doesn't offer her power. He offers her like you know these 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 um pleasures of the flesh which presumably she's going to get when she starts levitating and flying around the world and things like that at the end it's funny too that um before i think one of us mentioned hereditary which is another you know this came around the same time another horrifying film where a family gets ripped apart where someone in the family dies where there's a big secret evolved at the end and at the end you know the, the another spoiler alert the kid in hereditary becomes the vessel for this <laughs> god of hell of pain pain i think his name is to come in um but this ending is, I think, is a lot more unsettling than Hereditary. Yeah, I agree. I, with Hereditary, I think that the the film is very creepy, but there's really no there there. I feel like I've been set up for something that doesn't pay off. With right. The Witch, I feel like, as you said, the grimness of the shoot and the yeah. grimness of the set sets me up for the question, what's that like, the taste of butter? And you, yes. Yeah. At the end of when I watched Hereditary, you're right. It's terrifying at spots as you go through it. But then when you get to the end, you have to have the big the big answer, right? What's gonna, What's it? Excuse me. You're going to have the big answer. And you find out the answer is um, he's going to be in a treehouse and he's going to be this king of hell. And uh, some fat people are going to bow to him in the treehouse and stuff like that. And it made, you know, um, her mother rich and things like that. But okay. But this one, it, it seems like it couldn't have ended any other way. You know, the end of Hereditary seems like a like a B plus solution to an Agatha Christie book. Like it's pretty good. You didn't figure it out. But this one is so grim that it all goes to that point of, of her meeting Black Phillip. Yeah, I, I have the sense of unity that all 90 – and again, this film is 90 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's in and out. It feels 90, 90 minutes plus credits, but it's it, – it, the payoff is there. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us talk about The Witch. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Hey, so if you like the podcast, please subscribe. And rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You could also follow the show on Twitter at 15MinuteFilm. That's 15MINFilm. Tweet us or drop us a line for possible titles you'd like to hear us cover. And thanks for listening.